Amen. This is the Lord's sense of humor this morning. I needed a folder to put my message notes in, and the only one I could find was from the beginning of my school year, and it says, Emergency Info. (laughs) So, in case you haven't thought of it lately, here is our emergency info. Do not wait for a fire to break out to break it open. Amen? I told my wife I was trying to think of a good dad joke to open the... But she has been interceding fervently that I would not do that to anyone today. We'll see. Uh, For those of you that don't know us, uh, my name is Mark Mahalov. My wife Amy is here. We were members of Antioch a few years ago. Uh, We moved here in uh, late summer uh, 2014. How many of you remember our son John, the, the little high school kid that played the drums? John just graduated U of L last weekend. So uh, if we want to know where time went, eight years have gone by since we first moved here. And uh, we have now rejoined Antioch, and it's a real privilege uh, to call this our church family, our church home again. Not all churches are like a family, but this is a family. And that it's work to maintain that. And so I just want to let you know how precious that is to us. Uh, and we feel really blessed to be welcomed back. Uh, it is a little bit chilly in here this morning, so for our first passage of Scripture, I'm going to invite us to stand like we're used to doing, only we're not going to read all of Genesis chapter 40. Uh, We'll just read this first section together, and that way we can stretch just a tiny little bit, get the blood moving. So this is about Joseph, chapter 40, how Joseph interprets two prisoners' dreams, and we will read the first four verses. Would you read this with me together? Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Now, Antioch, we don't need this on a slide, but the Lord has spoken to us. Amen. You may be seated. I have one main point today. You know, when uh, Lynn was doing the Bible study this morning for the men, he commented about how, I wasn't sure how to take it, but he and I predated computers. Now, you know, on the one hand, that means I'm seasoned and we might have some... On the other hand, we have survived. And on the other hand, that made me feel really old, okay? So I'm not as techy as the the folks that you're used to. So I have one main point today. If you get the main point, I think you'll get the whole point. And the main point is this. Sometime is meant to be refine time. Okay, let me, let me say that again. Sometime, imaginary air quotes, is meant to be refine time. Now, how many of us enjoy the idea of waiting? Do you raise your hand if you just love to wait? Good, I'm in the right crowd. Okay, so let's jump into Genesis chapter 40. Uh, Brad left us last week understanding that Joseph 
laid hold of the one thing that was important, and that was his relationship with God. Now we want to find out, well, why did Joseph end up staying in that, in that prison cell? Why didn't God just let him free once he got a point? You know, have you ever wondered, God, I, I think I got it. Can we go on now? Raise your hands if you've ever looked at the Lord and said, I think I already understand. Can we get out of this? Yeah. Okay. By the way, I, I already shared with a few people, I'm likely to go off script, but we'll get to the slides in their correct order, so don't worry about that. So some time, and the Bible is very crystal clear in not being crystal clear. We have absolutely no idea, no way of knowing how long some time was. But here's what we can be pretty sure of. It was at least a couple of months later. It was a passage of time. It was a long enough time that they, you know, if, if it was in Kentucky and somebody said, how long has Joseph been in there? They might have said, it's been a minute. <laughs> well, you, you didn't laugh at that, but we're not from around here. And so we would have people say things to us about how it's been a minute. And we took them seriously. <laughs> we thought a minute meant a minute, but apparently in Kentucky it doesn't. So Joseph, who was unjustly sold as a slave, who was unjustly accused of sexual assault, who was unjustly thrown into prison, was now told that he had to attend to the two new prisoners. Bible doesn't tell us what the offenses of the cupbearer and the baker were, but whatever it was, it made Pharaoh angry enough to send them from the palace to the prison. That's not a very nice thought, is it? One minute you're offering the cup of wine to the king of Egypt. One minute you're offering your very best baked goods to the king of Egypt. And the next minute he's in a fury and he sends you to the prison, to the dungeon, to the place where the worst of the worst end up the king's prisoners. And Joseph, who was unjustly there. See, I don't know, did the cupbearer spill something on the king's robe and he get all upset? Did the baker forget that he, the, you know, the king preferred lemon and didn't want strawberry frosting on his cupcakes? We have no way of knowing what the offense was, but it made him angry. And an angry leader is not a thing that we want to enjoy. Joseph was given responsibility for them. The captain of the guard, the scripture says, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. Now we could look back at Genesis 39 where we see that the captain of guard, the guard entrusted everything to Joseph. He didn't worry about a thing. Can you imagine that today? Hey, I just want to let you know, uh, you know, WDRB News, that I've turned the county jail over to one of my prisoners because he does such a good job of keeping everything in line. <laughs> That's kind of what this was like. The captain of the guard didn't have to worry about anything because Joseph was there. But I see a a test here, and I see a piece of Joseph's character here. In the original language, in the Hebrew, the, word, the phrase he ministered to them means that he attended to them as a menial or even as a worshiper. And of all of the stuff that I read and studied about Genesis 40, this was really the thing that stopped me in my tracks. You see... Joseph did not just fulfill a mandatory obligation. Joseph wasn't just told, okay, I got two more scalawags for you to take care of here. Oh, these two offended the Pharaoh. Yeah, we got a whole bunch of them here. Joseph 
cared for them. He humbled himself before them. He possibly bowed down before them. He served them. He treated them with the respect that they deserved as officials of Pharaoh. He didn't treat them like the next prisoners to come down the line. He didn't treat them like, you know, well, you know, if I'd have been Joseph, I might have said, wait a minute, I've been here longer, okay? This is how it works here. You guys get to serve me. You're the new guys. You get the bedpans. You're the new guys. You get to chase the rats. You're the new guys. You get to sweep up the corner where the stuff is that we don't want to sleep anywhere near. You're the new guys. You... But instead, the Bible says that Joseph attended to them as if he was their subordinate, as if he was their servant. And there's something really powerful there about what God was working into the heart of Joseph that he also wants to work into our hearts. That no matter who we are, that no matter what we think we've got to offer, that no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've learned, no matter what we've done, we need to learn how to take the low road and be a servant of those that we have an opportunity to serve. I wonder how we would do if we were told to serve those guys. You know, just picture them. This is the cupbearer and the baker. These are palace dudes. They're soft, okay? Now, Joseph had been a slave for a while. Joseph had been in prison for a while. These guys, and Joseph's hands are probably a little gnarly, and they're, they probably haven't been clean for a long time. Scrapes and bumps and bruises and chains and dirt, and these guys come in from the palace. The baker probably smelled like creme brulee, you know? The cupbearer probably you know, smelled like the, the fragrance of wine. I don't know, maybe sooner got some of their notes of chocolate and cherry blossoms. You know, We'd never seen any such thing till we moved to Louisville. I thought, I thought coffee smelled like Maxwell House. You know? And all of a sudden, I'm supposed to, my nostrils are supposed to be enlarged and expanded into this whole potpourri that just floats through the air. Well, it worked because I drink the coffee. But these guys would have been soft, not used to hard life in prison, very disoriented by what just happened to them. Joseph had every reason in the world to look down on them, mistreat them, demand that they serve him, but he did not because Joseph was a servant of somebody greater than the captain of the guard and the leader of the prison. Nowhere does it say that Joseph begrudgingly just kept an eye on them. He did what a servant does. He attended to their needs. And if you get nothing else out of the passage today, please get that out of the passage. That the sometime that God often requires of us is not meant to irritate us, frustrate us, discourage us, even though I know all about those emotions. Okay? Sometime is meant to refine us to make us more like Jesus, to prepare us to be servants in a world that seems to demand that to be successful, you have to act like a master. Jesus says to rule with him, we have to learn how to be servants of all. Remember, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must learn how to be a servant of all. It's often a shock to our systems, maybe not to yours, but it certainly has been to mine, 
when we begin to experience things in life that simply are not fair. Anybody here ever had something happen that wasn't fair? Raise your hands. Make me feel better. I've got both hands in the air. (laughs) Fairness would indicate that the new prisoners would be the servants, the attendants, the newbies that get to do the menial tasks. But that's not what God required of Joseph. And that's not how it sometimes works out for us. Sometimes, can I get an amen when I say this? Sometimes life just isn't fair. Thank you. Okay. So on this next slide, here is a bit of advice for the next time someone tries to tell you that something isn't fair. Okay? Parents especially, write this down and save it for your kids. Fairness is not the objective of life. We have a pastor friend from up in northern New York. He had eight children. They're all adults now with their own children. But when they were younger, sometimes there would be some conflict. Or sometimes dad would give this one a piece of candy and this one didn't get it. Or sometimes favor was shown to this one and not to this one. Daddy, that's not fair. And he would look. Fairness is not the objective of life. And all of the other kids loved hearing that, except for the one that got it told to them. But being an equitable dad, all all eight kids heard that occasionally. Fairness is not the objective of life. Fairness is not what God is up to. He is a God of justice. Life isn't fair. It just isn't. I thought it was, and then it wasn't. And then I thought when I became a Christian it would be, but then it wasn't. Then I went into the ministry and I thought, oh, for sure it would be. And then it really wasn't. <laughs> Life is not fair, but God is just. Okay? So this is the attitude that Joseph was carrying, that attitude of a servant, when something amazing happened. We move on in Genesis 40 to verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, the baker, the cupbearer, king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, you notice that he didn't get to sleep in. (laughs) He was up maybe even before they were, waiting to see what their needs were. He saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Picture the sympathy, picture the care, picture how seriously Joseph took his responsibility to make sure that these guys were okay. He did not walk up to them and say, hey, what's your problem? Toughen up, you're in jail with me. I might have done that. You might have done that. And every other prisoner would have understood it if we behaved that way. But Joseph didn't do that. Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. It's interesting to me that the Bible records that each dream had its own interpretation. The world that we live in, you know, we dream I had some dreams last night. You might have had some dreams last night. And in our Western world, we're really used to, well, I I had a dream. It was the pepperoni pizza. I had a dream. 
I was mad at how the game turned out, and I stewed all night, and in my dream, the official was getting what he'd... I had a dream. But in Scripture, God often used dreams to communicate. Now, here's the cool thing about God. He didn't just use dreams to communicate to his people. He also used dreams to communicate to pagan people, to people who were outside of his covenant, to people who did not know him. Think of the wise men, okay? Astrologers that are using the stars to end up in Bethlehem. How cool is that? That God worked with their worldview to get them where he wanted them. But when it was time for them to leave, they were warned in a dream, and they listened. I wonder how often God tries to speak to us in a dream or a vision, and we don't pay any attention because it, it just happenstance. Didn't really mean anything. Couldn't have meant what I thought it meant. Couldn't have really been God. But brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God wants to speak to us. And sometimes the only time he can do that is when we're sleeping and not talking when we're sleeping and not busy thinking about the next thing, and he can get a word in, okay? God uses, didn't just use, but uses dreams. Now, dreaming the dream was one thing. Knowing what to do with that dream was something else, and God's plan here was to use Joseph to communicate to these two men the interpretation of the dream, now, what do you think went through Joseph's mind when he heard them use the word dream? Wasn't it dreams that was largely responsible for Joseph ending up being sold into slavery in the first place? Wasn't it dreams that got him in trouble? Wasn't it dreams that his whole family resented him for? Wasn't it dreams? Wasn't it God? And if I'd been Joseph, I might have at that point wanted to scream and throw a rat at them, you know? Well, there was probably more rats than food in the prison, unless the rats were the food. But we don't know, okay? This was prison. Dream. We had dreams, Joseph. How could Joseph, who had some very real reasons to run from that word, move in compassion toward these men and say, please, tell them to me. How hard do we find it sometimes to show that kind of care and compassion when somebody is obviously troubled that we would want to step toward them and say, please, could I enter your pain space? Could I enter into your sorrow? Could I enter into your suffering? Can I help you? That's what family should do. Sometimes families say things like, what's your problem? Toughen up, suck it up, stop your crying. Are you a crybaby? You know. But that's not what the family of God's people do. And the more we learn to model the way God's family behaves, the more attractive God's family is going to be to outsiders that need to see that kind of family modeled, to see the kind of tenderness and compassion and care that prisoner, slave, Joseph demonstrated here. Please tell them to me. So what was it that took place within Joseph's heart that allowed him to respond with kindness rather than indignation or resentment? Psalm 105 gives us a little bit of a clue where it says, he, speaking of God, sent a man before them, Joseph, 
who was sold as a slave, his feet they hurt with shackles. He was put in chains of iron until the time, oh, there's that word time, until the time that his word of prophecy regarding his brothers came true. The word of the Lord tested and refined him. And I, and I chose that in the Amplified Bible because it brings out some of what's really going on in the language here. Until the time for the prophecy dream that Joseph had about his brothers and about his parents was to come true, the word of God tested him and refined him. It doesn't say the word of God was a club over his head. It doesn't say the word of God needled him. It says the word of the Lord, it tested and it refined, and it tested and it refined. And if you're here today and you're struggling with how long, O oh Lord, one question that's good to ask, because I have to ask it of myself all the time, is when I am tested, am I willing to be refined by the testing? Will I embrace the process? Will I let it work its work so that I can move further on in the purposes of God? Not just to get out of the situation, but to become more conformed to the image that God always had for me, which is the image of Christ. So how was it that Joseph could become who he was meant to become? Well, Brad really answered it last week. It was God. God's kind of the answer to everything. But I want you to think very specifically God, the God of Abraham, his great-grandfather, the God of Isaac, his grandfather, the God of Jacob, his father. God, Joseph's God was working in him so he could work through him. God taught Joseph patience. God taught Joseph how to serve. God taught Joseph to do what was in front of him and to do it in a way that would bring God glory. That heart of a servant. A menial, yet a worshiper. Now why would God do that? Of course, it was so that miraculous provision could be given to the Israelites during their time of famine. But here, remember, God didn't just say, oh, I see that there's going to be a famine, so Joseph, you get to go to jail for a while. No, the, the, the bigger reason was so that hundreds of years later, God could deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, remember? Over 400 years. But even that isn't big enough to grasp. Because what is going on here is not just about the Israelites. And what is going on in your life and mine and what's going on in Antioch Church is not just about us, even though we often think that it is. The bigger reason that God was doing what he was doing with Joseph, the bigger reason that Joseph had to learn who this God was, was because God was setting the stage to call out a people for himself from slavery and launch them into freedom, but not just any freedom, but the freedom to use them to bless all of the families of the earth. This was the covenant promise, the crystal clear expressed covenant promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. You know those verses we love, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those that curse you. 
I've seen too many people get hung up wanting those things, a little bit like vengeance on their troublemakers. But God said, and in you, Abraham, in you and your lineage, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and on and on and on, in and through you, the descendants, the people of Israel, in and you through, in and through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. I'm really glad we sang that song this morning, My Worth is Not in What I Own, because, you know, parts of the body of Christ are a little messed up with what it means to be blessed. And I won't go on the rant that I sometimes like to go on about what true biblical prosperity is versus some of what the culture wants to tell us it is. But real blessing is not what we've got. It's whose we are. Real blessing is knowing the God that made us and knowing why he made us. Real blessing is getting laid hold of for the purposes that he already preordained for us to walk in. Real blessing is knowing God and making him known. That's a blessed people. So why was Joseph there? Because God was working out his genius master plan to start with one humble man that believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness in Abraham. And he was launching his invasion of all of the kingdom of darkness on earth. He began with one man. And here we are today. Millions upon millions of Christ followers on the earth. But too often we forget why we're here. Too often we forget the covenant promise. But God does not. Now think for a minute about how these people that Joseph was being asked to minister to, they weren't fellow Hebrews. There's no indication that he said, hey, I think I know you from the village right away. They were likely Egyptians or they could have possibly been slaves of another variety, but they certainly weren't kin to Joseph. They represented his owners. That's a tough word. These men represented his oppressors. Joseph was in prison because he was looked at as the property of the people of Egypt. Except that something happened in Joseph's heart in this transaction between him and God. Because he knew that his master was not the Pharaoh. And his master was not Potiphar. Potiphar's wife was not his lord. The cupbearer and the baker, they were not. Who was master? God. And God chose to allow Joseph to be placed in that prison. God chose to bring the nations to Joseph in prison. Knowing that eventually, after some time, an incredible manifestation of God's power and glory would be displayed in Egypt. Joseph didn't resent these men. Joseph embraced these men. And brothers and sisters, I would suggest that he modeled for us how we should respond when the nations are plopped on our doorstep. We could say, what are they doing here? We could say, look what's happening to the neighborhood. We could say, oh, they don't know our ways. We could say, I'm not about to eat that food. 
We could say a lot of things. Or we could say, please, how may I help you? Please, I see you're in pain. Please tell me. Please, I know that you're scared, but let me tell you about my God because he knows how to make it all okay. One of the reasons that we moved to the South End and one of the reasons Antioch's on the South End and one of the reasons a lot of you live on the South End is because the nations are on the South End. Now the good news is they're spreading all over Louisville as should happen. But Joseph modeled for us the heart that we should have towards those that are different than us, that do not understand our ways, that don't know how it works here. These guys didn't know how it worked in prison. Okay? When refugees from Afghanistan show up, they don't know how it works in Louisville. When people from the Democratic Republic of the Congo show up, they don't know how it works in Louisville. When Ukrainian refugees start showing up, they don't know how it works in Louisville. Who's going to help them learn? That's our job. It's the body of Christ to embrace, to draw near, to say, please, please let me welcome you. Please let me help you. Please tell me your dreams. So moving on to verse 9, we can step into the dreams and in the interpretation of dreams. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, Lynn talked to us guys this morning about praying in the spirit and always being in prayer in the spirit, being in tune with God, listening, listening, listening. But my goodness, here was a time when Joseph needed to know what God's voice sounded like. He didn't have all night to think about how to interpret these dreams. He didn't have three days to fast and pray and then maybe offer. He simply said to him, this is its interpretation. What boldness, what courage. The three branches are three days. In three days, the Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me makes a personal appeal when it is well with you. And please, please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So Joseph interprets this dream. It doesn't sound like Joseph hesitated to speak the words that God gave to him. He simply delivered. He gave what was given. You see, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, that's all we ever have to say is what we've been given to say. That's what our lives should be all about. Speaking what God has spoken. Perhaps it would serve us well to remember that our opinions about things in this life don't really matter much at all. Now, you can say ouch because I have to say ouch to myself because I'm preaching to myself too. My opinions don't mean a thing. 
neither do yours or ours. They really don't. Our opinions, like our feelings, well, they may be right. They may be wrong. They may be useful. They may be destructive. We would probably serve the Lord in this world better if we drew close enough to him that we could speak what he wants spoken rather than what we want people to hear us say. Do you ever find yourself talking because you want to be heard or typing because nobody knows who's typing it and you can hit send and then, you know, we can have our verbal social media volleys going on? Joseph didn't do that. Joseph had come to a place in God where he just spoke what was given. He didn't try to explain more about it. There are no extra words mentioned. He simply spoke the word of God. Now we move on to the baker. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. And there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked goods, baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. You think maybe he stepped back a little bit when he said that last part? I found this, something very interesting here. The baker did not share his dream until he knew two things. One, that Joseph was really able to give an interpretation. And two, and he was wrong about this, that the interpretation was favorable. What he didn't count on was that Joseph had no fear of man. He simply spoke what was given to him to say. Perhaps the baker, maybe like some of us, was the kind of guy who didn't want to take risks unless he was pretty sure what the outcome would be. He had a risk aversion. And I'm afraid that much of the body of Christ in these days seems to live this way. We want to calculate the risk before speaking up. Sometimes we open our mouths when we should have calculated. Joseph had no such problem. Joseph was at, he wanted out, but he was at peace where he was at. He had time with his God. He was free even though he was in chains. Just like Paul who gave us so much of the New Testament. Joseph simply gave the interpretation which, unfortunately for the baker, was a death sentence. By this time in his life, by this time in his captivity, by this time in his servitude, Joseph was a man free of the fear of man and of man's opinions about what he had to say. Tell me what you think, as long as you know ahead of time, I'm going to judge you if I don't like it. Joseph was free of all of that. The Lord spoke, and Joseph simply passed it on. Sometime had become refined time. Verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. 
But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. How would you feel at that point? You forgot him. So everything that Joseph said had come to pass. Sadly, the baker was put to death. Sadly, the cupbearer at that moment seemed to have no lasting heart of gratitude toward Joseph. He simply forgot him. And in the original language, it's, it's a, a root word that means to be oblivious of. Like, like the minute that the cupbearer stepped out of the prison, the memory of Joseph was wiped clean from his, his memory hard drive. I wonder how many times people have served us, blessed us, helped us through hard times. And the minute we're out of it, we forget all about them. Or we take them for granted. Or we don't show proper appreciation. We don't have that heart of thanksgiving for what people have sacrificed so that we could become who we were supposed to be. Hard as it was to believe, the cupbearer was oblivious to the very man who served him, spoke a God-given dream interpretation to him. How could he forget Joseph? That's real simple. He was thinking about himself. And what a snare for us to be caught thinking about ourselves when we should be thinking about those that God has placed around us and how they have helped us on our journey so far. Joseph, well, I wonder how long he waited, expecting to be released, hoping to be released, waiting to be released. Maybe, maybe he had his bags packed right by the... No, he probably didn't have any bags. Before he realized release wasn't coming. And we'll, we'll learn in Genesis chapter 41, it was two more years before Pharaoh had his dream. And what we do see in the next chapter is that Joseph, even though he had many good reasons, and I probably would have been angry, resentful, spiteful, he wasn't. He continued doing what was required of him until that day came for his next divine appointment. So we've learned a little bit about Joseph and the cupbearer and the baker and we've got one main point. Some time is meant to be refined time. But I've got a couple takeaways I want to offer. One to parents and one about children. So if you're not a parent here, maybe you're a spiritual parent to somebody. And this will apply. Because Joseph, Joseph, do you think he grew up in a really nice household? Everybody got along. They all sat around at dinner time, and everybody shared their highs and lows. And they had evidences of God's grace, you know. Now he had a bunch of bickering, squabbling kids, one father, different mother. Uh, it was a mess. It was sometimes maybe a little too much, like too much modern American family. It's just all modeled up. Here's a takeaway I want to ask us to ponder. God calls parents to do their part to prepare the next generation of gospel witnesses. Parents should do that in partnership with God. We do that in partnership with God, recognizing his claim on the lives of our children. Okay? Now, who was Jacob, or who was uh, Joseph's dad? Jacob? 
Do we read much about the investment of Jacob in his son and his son's dreams and helping and nurture his son along to know the God that gives him dreams? We don't get any of that. Whatever Joseph laid hold of, God was the father that counseled him and helped him. Okay? But it doesn't have to always be that hard. So, parents, if you have children, part of, part of the mandate, my wife and I, we have six children, part of our mandate is to prepare them to be the next generation of gospel witnesses. So I was pondering this, and I came up with a little, a little spin on our Antioch purpose statement, and here is something maybe we could consider. We pursue intentional gospel parenting to equip the next generation to display Christ's glory among the nations. There may be some Josephs in our midst. There may be some presidents in our midst. There may be some that have to go to prison for Jesus in our midst. There may be some that lead Fortune 500 companies in our midst. We don't know, but God knows. And parents, we need to partner with him to equip our kids to not only survive, but thrive whatever life is going to throw at them because life is not fair. God is just. Life is not fair. Pursuing the American dream is not what we should be challenging our children to chase after. We should remind them our worth is not in what we own. The dream we should spend time training our children to pursue is the expansion of the kingdom of God, the completion of the Great Commission, moving the gospel to the ends of the earth. Wherever Jesus isn't known, that's where the church belongs. Parents shouldn't be spending time saying, now I want to make sure you know how to, how to really prosper here and how to, you know, we shouldn't be saying, but I want my children to be successful in life. And, and here is a quotation that's a good antidote for that by a young man who's no longer with us in the flesh named John Chow. I believe the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience. Joseph obeyed, and we honor him and learn from his example. Parents, be an example to your kids, not just of how to accumulate the world's stuff, but of how to obey Jesus. Now, most of us probably don't know who John Chaw was, but he was a young man that died in 2018 at the age of 26. And he died attempting to share the gospel with a very Stone Age living tribe off the coast of India, the Sentinelese people. It was against the law to go there. The Indian government said, don't go there. It was too dangerous to go there. There were only a, probably only a few hundred of these people, but they lived on this island and they just tried to kill anybody that came anywhere near them. And John Shaw had heard about them and his heart burned to see them know Jesus. And so he spent years of his life preparing to go to them. And he went to them and they killed him. And the world's newspapers got hold of it. And, you know, foolish evangelical makes a mockery of this and that. And who did he think he was? And he broke all of these laws. And, you know, if all he read was the world's press, you would think, boy, this guy was a nutcase. You know? But I happened to be in a meeting once with one of the people from the missionary agency that sent him that straightened us out. 
about how this man took this call, this commission seriously. He wanted to obey Jesus above all other things. And it did cost him his life. But in the economy of God, I guarantee you there's been more prayer for the Sentinelese since his death than there ever was in all of human history put together before his death. Because sometimes the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Even when it doesn't turn out the way that we would like. He believed that success was measured by obedience to God rather than by our possessions. God knew our children before they were born. And we are stewards of the gift of their lives. Abraham was a steward of Isaac's life. Isaac was a steward of Jacob's life. Jacob was a steward of Joseph's life. And they did it with varying degrees of intentionality and success. And a lot of it doesn't look very good. But it's there. The covenant was passed on when they rose up, when they said, on it. And that's what we're to do with our kids. Teach them to be stewards of what we stewarded in the gospel. Okay? Another takeaway. And, and this, one, this one is hard. Takeaway number two. God often uses our children to prepare us for greater fruitfulness as gospel witnesses. God often uses children to drive their parents crazy. God often uses children to push all of the buttons so that all of the junk comes up that we don't want to admit is inside of our hearts. God often uses our children to grant us a choice between anger or mercy, between resentment or forgiveness, between patience or a paddling. Although sometimes, you know, I won't go there. <laughs> you know? God often uses our children as a mirror for us to see where we're at in this journey. And I'll be honest with you, I don't always like what I see as I look in the past in my parenting. Okay? John is our youngest. He's now 22 years old. For the first time in over 30 years, my wife and I do not have someone in school. It's an interesting time. Part of me is jumping up and down saying, this is amazing. And part of me is saying, you know, as we reflect, here's some things maybe, maybe I, I or we wish that we'd done differently, done better, laid hold of God more, because our children reflect. You know, have you ever asked your child why they did what they did? And you realize very quickly you taught it to them? <laughs> Has your child ever used a word they shouldn't use? Well, Daddy, I learned it from you. Or has your child ever struggled in an area of life and you realize they inherited it from you, but you've hidden it, but it's in full bloom in your kids? And I would invite us into a place of humility to allow God to use our children as his servants to grow us up, us who think we're already grown-ups, right? But if we're willing to take that humble posture, we can learn from our kids, sometimes even more than we can teach, but we can teach them, okay? God will use our kids and he will prune us through what they reveal in our lives. Pruning is painful but necessary for growth and God wants us to continue to grow, continue to be fruitful, continue 
to multiply and subdue the earth and be a witness to the nations. So Jacob had been given an amazing covenant promise because he got it from Isaac, and Isaac got it from Abraham. And just like he did with Abraham and Isaac, God supernaturally confirmed his covenant with Jacob, and this is the one that Joseph would have heard about. In Genesis 28, 14, it says, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Pretty cool. Antioch Church, in you and in your offspring, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Church of Louisville, Kentucky, in you and in your offspring will all of the families of the earth be blessed. God's purposes have never changed, never will. He has raised up for himself a covenant people. Now, I don't know how seriously Joseph or Jacob took his parent responsibilities. I don't know how often he rehearsed the words of the covenant. But I know this, that God was faithful to work with the people that would seek him. That God was faithful to meet Joseph in the prison. That God was faithful to take some time for refined time. And God will be faithful in your life and mine to prepare us for the destiny that he already knows that we have. This sermon series is called Worst Thing, Best Thing. Now, the worst thing here is pretty obvious, right? By the end of chapter 40, Joseph is still in prison. He's completely forgotten by the one man whose words could have gotten him out of prison. What could possibly be the best thing to see in chapter 40? I think it's his character. The character of Joseph that God worked into him. The fact that all, after all he'd been through, he was willing to be a servant. He was willing to humble himself. He was willing to honor even those that would forget about him later like he didn't exist. Joseph was descended from those that had been given the most amazing promise. God didn't wait until later to use Joseph as a blesser. He used him where he was, including in his not fair prison cell. Joseph was, at least in the sight of God, far more royalty than anyone in Egypt because he was descended from Abraham, that friend of God. In this chapter, Joseph shows us what the heart of a servant looks like. No negotiating, no promises demanded. When the people were placed in his care, he humbled himself. And he took on the form of a servant. And he met their needs. Does that sound familiar? Do we know of one who humbled himself and took on the form of a servant to meet our greatest need? The Bible says that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus had gathered with his disciples and he broke bread. He blessed it. And he said, this, this represents my body, which is broken for you. And I know it's not in our, what we normally say in Antioch, but over the years, I've often included this, that just like Jesus had to be broken for us to receive that blessing, oftentimes we need to learn to embrace brokenness. 
in order to be used for blessedness. So do not be afraid of some time. Embrace it, because God's breaking is, can be very kind and very gentle, but we still need to go through those processes. This represents the very body of our Savior who willingly humbled himself, left his home, came to earth to serve us. In the same way, he took the cup. And after he blessed it, he said this, this is, this is the new stuff. This is the new wine. This is the new covenant. My blood is going to be poured out. And whenever you eat and drink of this, would you remember me? Would you, would you celebrate my death? Even though you don't understand what I'm saying, would you remember me? And brothers and sisters, Jesus had to be poured out. And we as a body need to be willing to be poured out likewise. If we want to be like Christ, we need to want to be like Christ. In all of the emptying, the breaking, the outpouring, the humbling, the servitude, for the purposes of blessing the nations with this glorious gospel. Our tradition here at Antioch is to form two lines and come up and break off a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice and take it, reflect on it. There'll be two lines, one on this side, one on that side, gluten-free. Bread will be available over here. If you are a baptized follower of the Lord Jesus, we invite you to partake. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, this, this is not a meal for you. It wouldn't mean anything. It would just be a religious thing to do because the crowd does it. But what you could do today is take the one who said, do this in remembrance of me. Take Jesus. There'll be pastors in the back available for prayer. So if you're here today and you don't know this God, you don't know this Jesus, you don't know this Savior, you don't know this one who came to give so we could pass it on. Go to the back and ask someone to pray with you. Ask someone to share with you. Ask somebody to explain it with you. And maybe today could be the day you find new life and are set free from the prison cell of sin and loosed into the kingdom of light. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, and we celebrate this table and all that it represents. You did not have to come, but for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. We were that joy, a body of people called by your name, ransomed from hell's grip, destined for glory. We're here today in desperate need of remembering. Remembering how you came to serve. Remembering how we need to learn to also be servants. We celebrate you today. We thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. We rejoice in the newness of life that you've given us. For anyone that's here today that hasn't found this new life, may today be the day they are rescued from hell's darkness 
and pointed to heavenly eternity, the glories of the kingdom of God. We thank you for this word from heaven in the scriptures. We thank you for the symbols we're going to partake with. We thank you for your presence among us. In Jesus' name, amen.